Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 3, verse 6. Now John's disciples, that's John the Baptist's disciples, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the cornfields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked round at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And then this most extraordinarily shocking verse. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Amen. And we're continuing our series in Mark's Gospel on Sunday mornings. We're in chapter 2, as Robin just read. Please do keep your Bibles open on that page and have a look at 3. Verse 6, the verse that Robin just pointed out to us. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 6. Let's read that one more time. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Maybe we wanted a happier, more hopeful passage for the start of the year, but this is where we came to in our series before the holidays. We have come to... 
a plan for an assassination. These men want to murder Jesus. And the question that should be popping up in our minds is, why? That's shocking. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Mark has shown us in the first couple of chapters that he is God's Messiah, God's Messiah King. He identifies with humanity. He has a message of eternal hope for everyone with power over sin and death and most importantly, power over sin to forgive sins. He's been healing and preaching. He's not doing anything bad. Why do they want to kill him? Maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll miss the shock of this. It's outrageous. The Messiah King that they were waiting for, the one they had hoped and had arrived, why does it come to this? Why does it come to verse 6? That's the question that hopefully we'll be answering as we look at this passage. And before we jump into the verses, let me pray really quickly for God's help as we do so. Father, would you give us soft hearts and open ears and open minds to listen to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll see an outline of where we're going this morning in the back of your service sheet. Please use that if that is helpful to you to keep track of where we are. But just before we get to point one, uh, I think it'd be good to take a couple of minutes to think about what this relationship with the, between Jesus and the Pharisees is like in this passage. Jesus is he's answering back. They don't like him. What's going on? Well, um, maybe over the holiday p- period, you, you played some games with your family because you're fun people and you like to do that. Um, when I go home uh, to Brazil or with Brazilian friends here over the holidays, we like to play games. Well, they like to play games. I don't. I hate it. But... Because there's a hundred of us, and we're really, really passionate Latinos, it often descends very quickly into chaos. Everyone wants to contest every single rule, everyone wants to be in charge, and they think that their way is best. And so what happens is that we start to make up our own rules. And maybe that happens with your family. I mean, what do you do with jail and monopoly? Who knows? The game, in our case, was... Uno. And Uno is not a complicated game to play, but you'd be surprised how much screaming can happen during Uno. And if you watch this play Uno, it would probably be unrecognizable to you. Now imagine this. Imagine if the creator, the inventor of Uno, watched us play this game. In fact, imagine if he tried to join in, tried to play with us. I have a pretty good idea of what would have happened. As he attempted to speak up over all the screaming and correct us, we would turn on him. His authority would not be recognized. In fact, I think it would be outrightly rejected, which is ridiculous, isn't it? Because without him, We wouldn't be playing the game in the first place. His rules are the rules. And we won't accept his authority, and he probably would not accommodate himself to us. Rightly so. Who do we think we are? 
And if you were watching that from the outside, you'd be thinking, how ridiculous it is that these people think that they have authority over this game. Of course they don't. The creator has the authority. He has the final say. And you'll know that all analogies and illustrations, they fall short eventually, but you get the point. Jesus in these verses, he's asserting his authority. And some people, the Pharisees, they don't like it. The Pharisees, they were one of um, a few different Jewish religious authorities of the time. They specialized in law-keeping, obedience to the law that God had given his people through Moses in the Old Testament. They thought that, that was the best way to follow God and to receive his blessing. But when the lawmaker himself arrives, Jesus, when the one with real authority from God, the Son of Man, as we saw in the Old Testament, Daniel 7, that Jesus calls himself that, who Moses' laws, point, whose Moses laws points to, when he arrives, they reject him. And under kind of pharisaical practice, reg regulations and rules, they would be piled up on top of the law and attempt to keep anyone from coming anywhere near breaking the law to the point where, if you broke one of the regulations, it was as if you were breaking the law itself. And if that's the case, if that's the system in which we live, whose authority is at the forefront? Is it God's? Or is it the Pharisees? Let me put it another way. Who do I have to obey? If that's the case. The Pharisees' reaction to Jesus, it's so tragic because they thought their hearts were for God. But in fact, they were upholding their own authority and rejecting God's. In doing so, they lost sight of who God actually was so much that when he stands in front of them in Jesus and he doesn't fit within their structures, they want to kill him. And it's useful to grasp this because in principle, it's not unique to the Pharisees. This is worldly religion. And philosophy, full of rules and regulations that claim authority to bring us closer to God, but in fact, they don't represent the, accurately the real character of the real lawgiver. Instead, they uphold themselves, ourselves. And that actually pushes us further and further away from the real God. That's religion without God. And Jesus, who is the real God, will clash against this. And he will do so in these three little stories that we have read this morning. And what will be the outcome? We thought about it at the beginning. It's absurd. They want to kill him. His authority will be clearly demonstrated, and yet it will be rejected. But we'll see that whether you like it or not, he has ultimate absolute authority. And if we are in him, we follow him, if we are Christians, we can have real confidence in him, despite what the world may think. So let's move on to 
Point number one in your sheets, we'll go through them relatively quickly. Jesus' authority is absolute. Verses 18 to 22. Have a look at what's going on in verse 18. Everyone's disciples were fasting except for Jesus. And before, Jesus was sticking out because of his miracles, his claims, his association with sinners and the lower classes. Now he's sticking out for his lack of adherence to tradition and to religious law. And when he's asked about it, he gives a slightly cryptic response. Have a look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? And what's the common sense answer to that question? I think it's a rhetorical question. No, of course not. You don't fast when there's a wedding on and the bridegroom's there. You feast. It's a time for feasting, not fasting. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, they, they can't see that. They can't see what's right in front of them. In the Old Testament, God was Israel's bridegroom who loved her and promised to marry her and care for her. That's what Jesus is saying is happening right now with him there. But they don't recognize that Jesus, the bridegroom, has arrived. And so they don't react accordingly. And they are confused when Jesus doesn't fit in with their way of doing things. That's what Jesus' next answer is about. Have a look at verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Verse 22, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Old things cannot accommodate new things. If you try it, everything gets ruined. Jesus is not going to slot into the old way of doing things, into the traditional rules, the ways of Israel's religion as it was being practiced at the time and run. He is a new thing. And it's not that fasting is a bad thing. It's not that it's a bad thing to do. It's that fasting, kind of that adherence to the law and Jewish tradition was supposed to point you to Jesus. It was supposed to make you look forward to the arrival of the Messiah King. And Mark has spent the best part of two chapters showing us that that's exactly what has just happened. The Messiah King, with power to forgive sin, sent by God, the bridegroom is here. He's arrived, and they still want to function as if he hadn't. But he won't slot into a system, a structure, a religion that does not acknowledge his arrival and who he really is. He won't do it. And maybe you're here in church for the first time in a long time, around Edinburgh for the holidays, you're here with family. Maybe, this is unlikely probably, maybe it's your New Year's resolution to try church for the first time. You're very welcome. You might be thinking and asking in your mind, and maybe you've been asking this question for a wee while now. Is he really saying what I think he's saying? Is he saying that all religions are godless without Jesus? Is he really saying that kind of Islam, Buddhism, and the like, these are all godless religions? Surely they're just different ways to get to the same point. That, that's not a very nice thing to say, a very exclusive thing to say. Christianity says, Jesus says, the bridegroom, the bridegroom has come. He did come. God himself came. 
in Jesus, God incarnate came to earth. And if that's true, we should listen to him and the words that we find about him in the Bible, and we should act accordingly. He will not just fit into whatever religious system you might have in your mind, in your tradition, in your family. You can't be accommodated into any fine skin. You can't patch him onto any cloth. He's something new. He's God himself. And Jesus' authority means that he will not conform to whatever religion you prefer. He won't. He has authority to say what is right and what is wrong. And that's what we see in the next little story. Uh, That's point two in your sheets. Jesus' authority defies worldly religion. The Pharisees, from verse 23 onwards, the Pharisees thought that Jesus was allowing his disciples to break the law. Plucking heads of grain, that counted as like threshing, which counted as work, and you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. That was God's appointed day of rest in the law. The point is, in this exchange that Jesus has with them, who gets to decide, interpret, and apply this law? The Pharisees thought it was them. They thought they had authority to do so. But Jesus defies them and points out their inconsistency, their error, and their lack of authority. The Pharisees are such hypocrites. They didn't have a problem with David's actions when it looked like he was breaking the law. Look at verse 25. Jesus says to them, Have you never read what David did? Again, it's quite cheeky. Of course they had. Of course they had read what David did. And Jesus isn't saying, you know, well, David got to do it, so why can't I do it? Jesus is aligning himself with David. David is the Lord's anointed. In this episode in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, David is a king's chosen man on a mission. And the Pharisees didn't have a problem with what David did with the holy bread because of who David was. If that's the case for David, it should be so for Jesus even more. Why? Well, look at the claim that Jesus makes for himself in verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He is the one who is Lord of the Sabbath, even greater than David. He's the one who gets to decide what to do with it? He's Lord of it. The Pharisees aren't lords of anything. They didn't come up with it. And they're trying to adhere to the Sabbath. They thought themselves in charge, but they were not. Jesus is. Because he is the Son of Man. We've thought about this before in our series in Mark, that title for Jesus from Daniel 7, expressing that he is the one to whom has been given all authority from the Creator God, the one who is perfectly like God, come to earth. So Jesus, he doesn't fit with worldly religion and philosophy. Godless claims to authority. He doesn't just not fit with them. He defies them. He says they are wrong, and he is right. 
Why? Because he is Lord. And if that sounds like a provocative thing to say, we'll look at what Jesus has been like in these verses. And in the previous, in chapter 2, Jesus is being provocative. He's going out of his way to stand out. He's answering back when he's not being asked direct questions. He's going out of his way to stand out. He's in public with sinners in the lower classes. Verse 16. He's not fasting when everyone else is. He's plucking grain out, out in the open. He's going into the synagogue next. He's being confrontational. He's confronting head-on worldly religion, godless faith, ways of living in our hearts that are godless, and he's saying to them that they are wrong, and he's right. And that might be tough to take for some of us here. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is Lord, then we should be grateful for this, because it would be completely within his rights to just walk away from those who reject him. I would, if I was Lord with all authority. <laughs> but instead, he prods our hearts, he confronts our intuitions, he wants a reaction. For those of us who do follow Jesus, it's good for us to take note here. Jesus' confidence, this kind of like dismissal of, of worldly authority is grounded in who he is. That's where our confidence lies when our message about him confronts what the world thinks is right and wrong. Recently, over the last few months, we've been encouraged in church life to be more bold when it comes to talking to our friends and our family members about Jesus and about his message. Maybe that's your New Year's resolution to ask more people to read the Bible with you. That's great. But it may be that you're not a very confrontational person or a confident person on the whole. Maybe your default thinking is, who am I to tell this person what to do? Who am I to tell this person that Jesus is the only way? Well, just remember... Jesus is the one who says he is the only way. He is the one with authority. He is the one who defies the thoughts and the hearts of people who you might be reading the Bible with. And as a son of man, the Lord speaks. That does happen. Godless heart attitudes are confronted. So take confidence. That is a natural thing that happens. And rely on him who is Lord. But maybe by now you're getting a better sense of why our passage this morning ends the way it does. Why they want to kill him. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning and you're thinking, how dare you say things like this? How dare you tell people they're wrong? Maybe you want to get rid of Jesus 
for being like that. Maybe you hate him. He's defied you. He says you're wrong. Well, you wouldn't be the first. We're in point three. Jesus' authority judges worldly religion. Verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3. Have a look at verses 1 to 3. Jesus um, walks straight into the synagogue in the face of those who hate him. The Pharisees, that's where they would have hung out. And they're looking for a reason to get him. And he brings out the crippled man in front of everyone. And this time, he is the one who asks the question. Have a look at verse 4. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Why do they have no answer? Why are they silent? Think about what Jesus is asking here. Who wanted to do good and who wanted to do evil? Who heals and forgives sin and who plots murder? Hey, Pharisees, teachers of the law, given we were on the subject earlier, what, what should we do on the Sabbath? What should, what should we do? Should we do good or should we kill? Think of verse 6. Do you see how piercing that question is? In their silence, the Pharisees, they betray themselves and they reveal their hearts. What do they want to do? They want to destroy him. They would rather that than admit they were wrong and bow the knee to the ultimate authority. And that is what the world is like in many ways in its attitude to Jesus. And Jesus reveals that so sharply. Jesus' authority, it won't fit with worldly religion or philosophy. It will defy it, as we see in these verses. And it will judge it. Jesus, in his authority, will point the finger and reveal what these other claims to authority are really like. When worldly hearts, when worldly religion and authority come into contact with Jesus' authority, they are condemned for what they really are. What are they really like? What are the hearts of these Pharisees really, really like? When the Creator with authority, who is good, who comes to save, to heal, to forgive, arrives, and they don't want Him, they reject Him, and they want rid of Him, that is evil and that is wrong. And if you're hearing this maybe for the first time and it's grating against you, Maybe Jesus is confronting you. Look at verse 5. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. He's angry. Rightly so. How dare anyone 
deny his authority? How dare anyone want to kill him in their heart, to reject him like he's just another famous teacher, another nobody who I can, I can ignore, just do my own thing? And at the same time, he's grieving for you because your heart is hardening towards him. Don't allow that to happen. Why? Because Jesus' authority, it not only confronts and it judges, but it also saves. He came to do good. He came to save life. His authority is the only one that can forgive sin for eternity. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 10. We saw this a little uh, while before the holidays. Jesus says to the Pharisees, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Don't reject him. His authority is not abused for evil, like the Pharisees, but it's used in love for you, for the forgiveness of sins. The same thing in chapter 2, verse 16, 17. The Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners, and he said to the disciples, why does he do that? And Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. He came for sinners like you and me. If you reject him, if you reject his authority, ultimately you won't win. The Pharisees thought they won. They did kill Jesus. It can look like Jesus' authority isn't very authoritative, but he is alive today and they are not. Don't risk being on their side, on the side of judgment. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you can expect what Jesus experienced here. Rejection. This is how the world and its godless religiosity and philosophy treats Christ when he makes it clear that he will not be accommodated by them and that he is Lord. It wants to kill him. And from the dirty looks in the office to the beheading of Christians in the Middle East. It could be a scary thing to follow Jesus and his authority. But look at him in these verses. Who's really in control? Who really has the authority? It's obvious. It's him. So how amazing it is that the powerful, the authoritative creator would be so good to us that he would come to bring a feast, the bridegroom, that he would come to our benefit, to save life, to forgive sins. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus, in your words, we see your authority over all. Thank you, Father, that you're not an abuser of this authority, but that you are patient and you are loving in it. Father, would you forgive us for our disobedience, our thinking we are better, our rejection, our ignoring of you? 
Help us to submit to you and to know your authority to be our salvation and to be our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.